Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Ed Hubbard, founder of The Witch School. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Gary. I appreciate it. You know, um, I, I, one of the things that I, when I was a kid and I was, you know, curious about the occult and I was curious about witchcraft, um, the only place I could find to get information <laughs> was some kind of weird advert that I found in the back of a magazine, you know, and I had to like send them like 10 bucks and get their newsletter. And, you know, there really was just not much available. And uh, obviously now with the internet, uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff available. And one of those cool things is your school. Um, so, So how did you come up with the idea of starting the witch school? And um, so, yeah, I actually remember that church. It was the Church and School of Wicca uh, and Witchcraft, which was uh, by the Frost. Um, well, a lot of things went into it. The big thing is, is that I was doing kind of leadership. I was at the Primal World Religion. And I was just trying to get the ideas across. And then one day I lit an orange candle um, to try to get knowledge. The next day I saw a, school, a bus go by. It was a big orange sign. It said Phoenix University. I had been teaching for a while, and I went, huh, an online school. So in 2020, uh, 2000, um, I began looking for programmers and things like that. And September 4th, 2001, which school came online um, because of the, the immense need at the time, because there was hardly anything available. Right, yeah, still, yeah, around 2000, yeah, the internet was sort of just still building up steam. So people, yeah, I, I was actually, we, I went on the internet in 1993 yeah. and been sharing through various different methods. Uh, everybody forgets the chat room phase. And then mm-hmm. there was the email e-group phase where everybody was watching their email and they were sending each other tons of signals. So I've always liked communicating in whatever format is the today's format. I've gotten really that sort of thing. And which school at the time, now we see all online courses was really laughed at. It was like, oh, who's going to want to take classes on, on the internet? So we always kind of create this idea of making the past more important than it is, ignore what's available for the now, and demonize the future. So, um, but yeah, the school goes on. 35 free courses now. 150. We reached over 300,000 people in that period of time. Wow. Taking lessons. We have people in almost every country in the world. We have like 30 temples now. It really helped spread out what we what we what we did. Hmm? It's an absolute uh, phenomenon of the internet. That is really really incredible to to reach that many people. And um, and I, before the episode, I had just created a login and I was looking at one of the intro lessons. And um, and, and right in that first lesson, like you kind of demystify, you know what Wicca and witchcraft really is, you know, by, by talking about, you know, the, the first rule, which is to harm none. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something, you know, even like, like when I, my first exposed to it, 
I don't know. I think I may have read it in the, like one of the Gardner books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously as a young person, I kind of dismissed it. I said, man, screw that. I just want to put curses and hexes on people and shit like that. And, uh, but, you know, as, as an adult and really looking at it as, as a religion, you know, um, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I can't think of a better premise or a better rule. Well, I think for me, people always ask me, so just to give people a little clarity, so there's witches who can practice any sort of different group. It's an art. It's an art. Mm-hmm. So those hexes and curses and things are, are absolutely there for those people who want them. And Wicca, it tends to be a faith, um, a religious practice, and is recognized by Parliament World Religion. So not all witches are Wiccans. Most Wiccans are witches. So that, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And so there are lots of different types of witches. And we teach that witch school. We teach all sorts of different types of witches, too. But, you know, we try to avoid the harming and the cursing. Though a lot of people have done it over the last year and a half. I mean, cursing and hexing has made it a huge comeback amongst groups. And uh, especially for political reasons. And I'll be honest, a lot of it's political. Mm-hmm. But it really has brought that question back. So it's, it's been an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done uh, a couple episodes. I don't even know if I had put them out yet. I think I may have put one out on um, on Hoodoo, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and the topic was about you know doing hexes and spells and, and curses, but we also covered like you know protection and reversing those type of things too. The vast majority of people don't realize these are beliefs that affected the world in a way that was quantifiable or practical to the individual. You mean, it's hard to imagine that everybody doesn't understand. It all happens in the imagination first. Everything we do is in imagination and we build out from there. Mm -hmm. And Wicca and witchcraft, especially witchcraft, was a way to preserve a science that we didn't fully understand. You know, like the inside of a willow bark. Well, today we know that's aspirin. But back then, they knew that that worked, and they were willing to experiment with things and all sorts of different ideas. They were shorter-lived people, but they still had a different idea of what health was. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they, they became very important to us. Right. So, so I guess, like, the flat, like, like you know, and I, I, I agree, like, if something first it starts out as a thought, then, then it's a, a word, you know, then it's an action, and then it's a thing. Yes. And when people ask me, what is magic or witchcraft? It's exactly that. It's the will that generates that first thought. Hmm? And that's really where we get into is the will. You know, what is it that is your free will? What is it that you want to do? And once you decide to do something and you imagine it, the rest of it comes together. What we were learning from the quantum universe, because I'm also a technomage and probably becoming one of the best known technomages. What I mean by that is I use the internet, cyberspace and cybernetic tools to help my magic and i've done rituals we just recently did a ritual on halloween that had people from seven different countries sharing space we talk a lot about sharing space being in the same headspace right um across the world to zoom and we did this sort of morning ritual we then broadcast to the world that was phenomenally powerful magic but we were at a great distance so it's not always you have to do it right there in front of you Hmm? right yeah, uh, that that's really cool that you are able to do that, you know. I and um, and and one of the you know you, you mentioned I, th- I and I believe that it's it's not just a key to 
you know, witchcraft or, or Wicca, but, but pretty much to, to any type of spiritual path is intention. Would you agree with that? I do. And, and so I often talk about um, just everything at the core being magic. There's lots of different practitioners doing lots of different things in a lot of different cultures. But what we do see ultimately in all of them is this idea that you have to accept that you can make a change in the world and that you can see these things and then it becomes possible to do them. And we see this over and over again, no matter the culture, be it a shaman, being a witch, be a sorceress, um, be a magician in, in, in ancient Europe or being one in China. I mean, all of them comes down to a, a really this core belief. Can you believe in your own magic? And now we're discovering that belief of um, the observationist is now becoming a very quantum principle. It's becoming a very scientific principle to the uh-huh. point where it's affecting major experiments. You know, the idea of observation. Right. Um, we have a magical effect. We say it exists. And the scientific community refuses to call it magic. They keep calling it placebo. Anytime you go into like healing and you give people a test group that gets something and another group that gets nothing and then a third one gets a placebo, we always, in those placebo effects, those heal, we see healings just from the power of the mind. And they don't want to quantify that part of it. They always say, well, yeah, certain people reacted on the placebo effect. They were believed that this would help them and it did. And that's, and when people say, well, that's a piece of magic I can point to you, which is scientifically proven. Hmm? So um, with that, like, 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 how do you get people from non-belief to belief? Um, I can be funny and say psychedelics. Um, that's becoming, again, a growing movement. Early movement, yeah. uh, the 60s and 70s, they used psychedelics. Um, then in the 80s and the 90s, we used a lot more meditation, and we still do. Um, the school teaches uh, creative visualization, teach you to work your memory and your energy. So we use a lot of creative visualization. For those people who don't know what that is, it's the, we call it active daydreaming is a great way to phrase it. We actually control what you're imagining in your mind by basically you know, laying down kind of a pathway, like a song, like a music, like a, uh, a script. And that helps out people. And then once you learn how to do it for yourself, you can visualize these various forces in the universe that can work with you. So that's really the, probably the safest way. Mm-hmm. And there are other methods to do so. And then learning and going through initiation and going through experiences with people is what's required. You can read all day. You can read about a push-up, but until you do a push-up, you've not done a push-up. Hmm? Right. Um, when you do like the, the uh, visualization, would that be considered like working on the astral plane? It can be, absolutely. Um, or any of the other, they have called monad, the mental plane or the astral plane. And some people see those as separate or together. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, you can do that. And then astral projection is a step further where you can go out and actually explore that world, including this one. And there have been people who can use it to peer into our own world. And there's been a lot of scientific evidence of that and a lot of tests of that or you can go see other types of worlds. Dreaming may very well be a very, everybody believes that is a very strong form of astral projection or astral dreaming. What you have in your dreams is tangible in that way. 
Right. You know, um, one of the things that, that people often ask me is like, especially like other podcasts to go, well, how do you find so many guests on these topics? And I'll always say like tongue in cheek. I'll say, well, I, I, I find most of them on the astral plane. <laughs> and that's a reasonable statement. Hmm? I think it is. actually. It is because what the astral plane does for you. And I just recently set up something called the astral beacon, which was I run a crystal web. That's 33 years old. I started in Chicago. Now has over millions of crystals and thousands of participants. And it's all about building energy and being able to tap together into these sort of spaces. But when you basically look for guesses, I you just ask the question and the universe answers. Um, ours was you were just talking about something. You said, oh, I have something to say. And I answered one of your um, things inside one of the podcast groups I belong to. I couldn't even tell you which one right now. And we connected. Mm-hmm. And obviously, in some ways that, you know, the internet helps us act a little bit like the astral projection, but you had to put out that intent. And then right. you attracted it to you. Hmm? Right. It, 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 was, it, was, it may have been the one where I was asking for a necromancer. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I mentioned that I'm, one of my next project is dealing, well, in Wicca and paganism, there's this idea of what remembers lives. But I'm now dealing with like, members who have passed and my God, you don't know what you're leaving behind when you don't take care of your internet side of it. And I actually believe the internet has deep magical properties that people don't understand. It's like the manifestation of the Akashic records. There's a lot of things we talk about in metaphysics that are manifesting inside cyberspace. Yeah. And we're leaving behind dead bodies in the internet mm-hmm. when people forget all, you know, uh, they, there's these sort of, and I'm, and I'm starting with my, I'm writing a book right now called Rise of the Techno Mage. It'll be out in January. And one of the big things I talk about is how are you taking care of your digital body? You've got lots of ways to take care of your physical body. But do, do you leave your emails hanging out there so someday for some hacker to go in there? What do you got in there? Um, how will you be memorialized? And so you come up, it's going to become a real issue here soon. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it always, I always find it kind of weird. When I'm on when I, when I open up Facebook in the morning, you know how it has like a list of people's birthdays. Absolutely. And, and I look at it like, oh wait, that person's dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, well, you know, like, nobody really does anything with that. You know, like people will go on there and post, oh, I miss you and stuff like that, but it, it's just ghost. weird. <laughs> now you're looking at a ghost. Yeah. You're really looking at a cybernetic ghost. We don't know how that's going to affect the future, but that remnant of that person is still there. Um, we may find days where we might be creating AIs in the future, and some kid might just go out and you know use it to gather you know gather up information about that person. I mean, that's going to ha- you know that can happen. There's things like mind cloning, but there's a lot of things that can happen. One of the things I warn people about is that you really need to have a plan of what's going to happen to that because who do you want to read your internet? Who do you want to read your emails? Think about that when you're gone and who gets access to emails. <laughs> yeah, and, I don't I don't want anybody to know like all the weird porn I've looked at in my lifetime after I die. See, yeah. <laughs> but right now most people don't know how to handle that. So so I'm I'm very much so part of what witches and you know do is mediumship, spirit communication. We do a lot of that. You hear it in Salem. You hear it of that. We do seances, we do spirit communication. 
And I'm now just taking it to the next level and saying, we need to do that too on the internet. I mean, we can create AI soon. There's cyber spirits. What is Alexa but a spirit? I mean, you, it's a, by definition, you summon it. Hi, Alexa. You tell it what to do. Buy me something. And uh-huh. it carries out these actions. You know, and they can talk to you and they can gather information. So we're creating cyber spirits that obey us. So, so, so then actually like a, a virus, like, like an internet virus could almost be like an egregore. It is an egregore. I fully believe that. Because Anything it, that can take possession of our mind and control part of our thoughts to allow us to project into reality is an egregore. Hmm? And the internet is an egregore making machine. I tell people, I have younger kids. I've been able to explain higher self to younger kids better than older, older people. It said the higher self is the guy who controls the video game character in your first shooter games. That right. character that you have in like say, um, Call of Duty, hmm? mm-hmm. will not move, will not do anything without your explicit position. And then when you're playing, it's like you're pouring your higher self into, a, into another world. And then it starts to act. Well, higher selves, people believe there are souls are above us and acting it, almost acts in the same way. So in a lot of ways, we get to play our own deities within these cyberspace. We get to create imagined things. And then it reflects on how we live in our world. I think it's a fascinating feedback to it. I have a friend out there, uh, Katrina, who's now been more, her page is five years old. And she has a bunch of stuff out there, but nobody can get to it because no one took care of it. These are the type of ghosts we're going to leave behind in 10, 20 years, 30 years. And it's going to be then up for grass for any corporation, any sort of hunter. There's all sorts of things that can happen that will hunt out these personalities. And the most dangerous thing to happen, this is the one I'm afraid of, is they get into your email or your personal information. There's already a con out there that steals dead people's uh, credit cards and then charges up the last of their credit card availability. They don't go beyond it, not asking for anymore, but they find out and nobody ever pays it because the, nobody ever knows about it. There's uh, stories about people being three years dead. I just read, uh, just read and I actually investigated to make sure it was real. The gentleman was dead for three years and two months sitting in front of his television. He died in front of his television and all his credit cards, everything was, uh, was a payment. The only reason they caught it is because his electric, uh, his, Credit card to the extra bill expired. Mm-hmm. And he, there he was. And he was sitting in his chair watching television, same channel for three and a half years, for almost a little more than three years. Wow, that's really weird. And this is, you know, so we're talking about automated processes. And I think magic is very much a part of that. I think uh, what we do in our, our ability to communicate is going to be very affected by this. Hmm? Yeah. And I think the thing is, we as necromancers, those who talk to the dead, are going to find out the internet is going to be both a great tool and a fearful place in, in years if we don't take care of that underlying psyche. So, so, so how do we, how would we even begin to start thinking? I mean, do, is that something that we have to do as individuals or is that something that corporations are going to have to do? Like maybe just set like time limits on certain things that are just inactive or not well, logged I think- into. I think I'm, I'm, I'm really working on, and it'll be a next, called Afterlife, afterlife um, Digital Services so that people can actually take care of it. The corporations will eventually take care of it. Remember, they just jumped Yahoo groups. You know, MySpace is barely functioning. Uh, people forget about GeoCities. So they will dump this stuff. 
right? And so it doesn't matter what do you want to pass on. You just, you know, you make a deal with, um, you know, someone that have your passwords or you have a password placed in your will and things of that nature. Just pay attention to it first. And then have a place where it says, hey, best friend, and I have jokes, friends are always joking with me. If anything happens to me today, will you go clear my porn cache? Mm-hmm. It's a big joke, right? But it is that sort of idea of going having someone clean up with you, like with as the executor, your necro, your own personal necromancer who will go in there, preserve what's great for your families. Because my gosh, isn't it going to be amazing that our great great grandchildren will be able to see pictures of us, listen to how we talk, how we did podcasts? That this podcast is going to be around for a hundred years, possibly, probably. Right. And then that's sort of the, the amazing side. So the other side of it for me is I want to create these really nice spaces while people are alive so that they can talk and communicate in a way with their descendants in a way that, that we've never been had before. Not impossible. We've done it with books. We've done it with a lot of things. Can you imagine what we can do if it was uh, kind of an AI of sorts that talks mm-hmm. to them, answer their questions about our lives? Do you think that we'll ever reach a point where we could upload our entire consciousness? Absolutely. Not even a question in my mind. Hmm? And, and then what happens with that consciousness? Is that consciousness will it still have a, a spirit? So it will. Okay. So at the very least, it'll have, this is where Matt and being able to imagine, understand where science coming in. We know that we have a quantum field that surrounds us. We're really starting to see the quantum field around us that we think a lot of our thinking takes place. So that quantum field, if it's given the right interface, it can go on and communicate. I mean, we've always said this about crystals. We say crystals have energy, the trees have energy. We can read them and we're finding out that their communication, there's actually a tree net where the vines and the roots and the things all match each other, they talk to each other. So there is a place that we all talk to each other. And I think that quantum imprint can be transferred over is that the soul? I don't know. I mean, I can't talk to it 100%, but I certainly know that I have experiences with spirits that feel very real to me. And, um, and some of it is, you know, embracing, and I, I think we can embrace that and bring it into the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one well, scenario, we're reborn. We start a new life with all the memories we have. Right. Yeah, one of the things that I always kind of, like when if we... When the internet start, first started growing and, and, and Google, you know, really started being, you know, pretty good to use, uh, I, I sort of started to think of the internet as like, you know, our, um, an electronic collective consciousness. I or agree. Akashic record. Um, Kevin Tyler, who wrote, is the publisher of Wired Magazine, is called Technology, the seventh order of life called the technium. And he believed it was a form of life we were bringing together, that nature brings together to kind of operate that. Um, certainly, I believe we have a planetary consciousness. I mean, uh, with school, getting back to with school, you know, we have a button on there that allows us to translate it into 100 languages. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that 10 years ago. But with now one push of a button, it does a, a basically a translation. And then we have people overseas that basically and in the United States as well who then go through them and help us with them but yeah imagine what's capable I always tell that people and the internet is the Akashic records it's the storage of all human knowledge eventually 
Uh, have you ever heard the story that there's a a um, a room beneath the Sphinx in Egypt that holds crystals that has an entire human history? I've I've heard that I'm legend and. I've been waiting for them to open it up. Let's see if they can find it. Um, there's also an Atlantean one that somewhere when we find Atlantis, we'll find out all of the prehistory before this civilization emerged. There's a very strong evidence that there was another superculture before ours. I mean, yes. we see that. There's not even a question. I mean, there's not, it may have only reached, and the, and the things I've seen, it may have reached early computational power, mechanical. What they didn't find they found heat and steam and all of that. I don't think they found electricity in the way we do. I think electricity makes us the most unique civilization that has ever been on the earth. But I think there's been some really advanced cultures that have used other energy forms. Do you think that they were able to imprint um, information into crystals? We, yes, and we're, and we're doing it now. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, is if, if, if the, we have now discovered that crystals in their matrices, we're doing it now. We're actually talking about, about data crystals, you know, crystals that are actually made from scratch. They're then filled full of knowledge that are going to last 50,000 years, 500,000 years. We're, we're doing it. So to think that a culture may have found it earlier and found it in a different way makes absolute sense to me. We're constantly finding and losing science. So if we can do it today, I think we could have done it in the past. Hmm? Oh, absolutely. How about, you know, like, like you and I, like we're, we're organic living creatures, and then we're inputting stuff into a computer, which is digital. Mm -hmm. Do you think that eventually everything that we can put into that digital form, will the, will the AI be able to start creating its own organic entities yes we're on the verge of it now we're doing it now um you have these permanent games right like w world of warcraft um mm -hmm. eve and those have entities in it and they're starting to apply ai programs to those entities that are inside the game um i asked a question on my facebook page you know what world would you like to be in if you know if you could spend all your time in and Warcraft came up a lot. Mm -hmm. So Warcraft is actually becoming kind of that world where you can go in, hang out, have your avatar in it. But they also have AI programs and it has its own timelines. Eve mm -hmm. is like that. There's a lot of games already out there like that. And now there are workspaces that are doing the same thing. There's a company called uh, Terramin and they've just gone all virtual reality. They've gone beyond Zoom. They sent everybody Oculuses. They sent them all the equipment and they're a designer company. Now they're all working in virtual reality. Now they go to office in the virtual reality world and that's just started. So we're there. People don't realize that we've already entered into creating the next matrix for ourselves. It's just that they don't want to. It's scary. It's frightening. You know, I remember the day and age. I literally remember the age. My grandmother would not use an ATM machine because it took away a job from a teller and it was so inconvenient to use. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine anyone today saying, oh, I don't want to use an ATM card because it's so <laughs> inconvenient? It's kind of funny. I barely even use cash anymore. Right. And, and so people don't understand. So 2020 in the mystical world, a lot of people are using the term that we've now accelerated the future. 
that it forced us to make a lot of changes in the future that we had to learn to adapt at a distance. And that's, you know, we used to talk about clairvoyance and telepathy and, you know, mind-to-mind -mind communication and imagery. All of that we're doing, literally every psychic ability you can imagine, we're doing it in cyberspace now. Yeah. But we just feel like it's different because it's a computer, it's a machine, you know. But there was a time when we felt like a horse and buggy was much better than a car. Who'd want a car? <laughs> and then everybody has a car. Right. That's kind of like, you know, in, in the history of, of, of magic in a cult, like, I, from my understanding, from what I've read, like one of the earliest um, recorded magical things that people were doing was like writing something down, having somebody deliver it, and have another person be able to read it and translate the meaning. The and that was considered magic. It was. So you imagine that you could not remember anything from year to year. You had to, first of all, remember a time when all you can communicate was in grunts and things like that. And all of a sudden, two people started to understand each other enough that they could communicate certain ideas. And then a third person joined them. And then a fourth. You got cooperative behavior some 70,000 years ago. Words are power. So if you remember nothing else about this conversation, words are the essential power. The world is, Terrence McKenna said, the world is made up of words. And if we know what those words are, we can make the world. Words are the world. And every yeah. magician will tell you it's the words that make everything. Words are not just reactionary. They're regenerative. Generative. If you say, I feel good, it helps you feel good. If you say, I'm excited, it'll make you feel excited. He says, I want to accomplish that. Well, then you, you're weakening. He says, I will accomplish that. Strengthens it. And you start the process of casting. Literally, I will is the beginning of all magic. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that just sort of just goes right back to, to you know, what I was originally, you know, when I said that, you know, we have a thought, and then it becomes a word, then it becomes a deed, and then it becomes a thing. So that, that I think vocalizing is like that second stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it became a tremendous power. And then the ability to take those vocalization and create a character that somebody in the future would understand was magical to, to those early people. Imagine emails. That was magical to us. Oh, my God, yeah. when we were doing emails, it was like, wow, this is so incredible. I don't have to put a letter in the post office box and mail it or pay those exorbitant long-distance fees. I mean, I tell people, I tell kids, you know, how old are you? I said, oh, I used to have to pay for long distance by the minute. Yeah, it used to suck. <laughs> and I did it to, to a phone that was tethered to a wall. Yeah. Nobody can imagine that world now. That's impossible. Hmm? Or, or, or you had to find a phone booth <laughs> if you weren't home <laughs> or if your car oh. broke down. And, you know, I've seen it in old movies. One of the things I love, we, uh, we did uh, Lord Don's Library of Horror, part of Halloween, doing metaphysical movies. And you're asking, why are they just picking up their phone? You know, in the middle of these old 1930s, 40s, and 50s movies. Like, why aren't mm -hmm. you picking up the phone and calling the police? You're like, Oh, they didn't have that. Hmm? Yeah. Well, it's, it, it makes it a lot harder to make a horror movie now because <laughs> everybody has so much contact with the outside world, no matter where they are. I think it makes, makes it difficult for a horror movie to isolate their victims. 
the next horror movies, we're starting to see that emerge, that the, the, the threat is going to come out of the internet. The, the Ouija board that's in the internet or the video website that's the evil website you can't go to. Um, I think one of the best early horrors was seen in something else called Videodrome. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Had Debbie Harry. They warned us. It was Freaked like... me out. <laughs> you couldn't tell the difference between the television and the reality, right? Right. Um, I think we're, we're there. I think we're there now. I, I don't think... The, the thing I think about the power of words affecting the internet and everything you're doing, this, you know, every podcast, everything imaginable gives a great definition. It gives it a great def- definition. I think that it, we continue to see it. Now, there's a lot of people who hate emoticons. And I'm saying we're becoming, a, you know, in the generation, we're going to become hieroglyphic. We're going to talk, we're going to talk in emojis and memes and, you know, trademarks and all of that. We're going to have a language that we just type out that's going to look so weird. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think, though, that, that through that we would lose some of our expression that we capture in regular, regular writing? So I always tell people the number of words today we have in the English language alone to express stuff is far greater than anything else. And this question has been put to every linguistic scholar for hundreds of years. We see it in England. We actually see it in England in the schools where they write it. And it's, there's this constant fear of losing the language underneath. And in the magical world, that's acute. That's an acute feeling. We want to go back to the original languages. So we want to study them as they work because we believe there's power in those vibrations and those sounds. At the same time, every time we've added another layer of language, we get to express more. So I think it's that two-edged sword. If no one's keeping those old languages, we're going to lose their ability to communicate very distinct things. But at the same time, we're going to keep growing in the number of words and number of ways to express ourselves. So... Yeah, the danger of forgetting the past is right there. But absolutely, we're going to build and we're going to create more types of language. And, you know, and it'll have its powers and it'll have its effects. So, so like an emoji will be able to work like a sigil? It already is. There's lots of people who are already doing it. You know, what's a happy, what's, what's a happy emoji? You know, a happy con, you know, it's a happy face, but you're telling somebody they're happy. And, and it conveys more of the information if then you're saying, I'm happy you know, those eight, nine, what is it, nine, 10 letters go down to one symbol. And then you have different things like um, you have the naughty ones, like, you know, people have turned eggplants and a couple of other things in the naughty ones. But you also have people who express very detailed information through those emojis. So yeah, I think if you're used to using them and find ways of doing that, it builds a language, a meaning of language compressed underneath them. So it compresses information. So yes, in that sense, it's a signal. Same as the ancient hieroglyphs of uh, Egypt. They weren't a singular language. They were multi-tiered, multi-leveled images that conveyed several different types of talking. And then we lost it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you think that eventually like, people will pick up a book and it'll be like nothing but emojis? I think that's fully possible. I, and I think that's coming within, I think the joke book of that is coming out in the next couple of years. Because hmm? uh, somebody's going to do it because it's just funny. Hmm? Right. Yeah, yeah, I can see somebody totally doing that. Right. And then once it gets there, you're already seeing strings. You're seeing whole sentences and uh, conversations 
on places like Instagram and Facebook because they force you to conserve the number of characters that you're using. Wherever you want to conserve information. So our language has always worked this way. Like abracadabra. People go, what's that? You know, we don't use that anymore, but it means what I, you know, what I say is, it's, it's, it literally means what I say comes to be. And we just tighten that up into a single word that we can use in magic. So magic is always trying to create these complex word things so that if I say the word at the right time, it affects the world because it knows what it means. Right. And yes. the more I understand it, the better off I'll be like lightning. We all know what lightning is. Mm -hmm. But there was a time when we didn't all understand what lightning is. And we had all sorts of different definitions, but now we all have the same definition of lightning. It's a bolt of electrical energy that comes out of the sky. And because of that, we were able then to be able to deal with lightning in a better way. So we're going to find better ways to express ourselves in cyberspace. But yes, is there a danger? And I will say it today to the older magicians, if we don't preserve the past, it could be forgotten. We've forgotten so much. We don't know how the pyramids were built. We don't know if Atlantis was absolutely real. We don't know how those, you know, that the that, uh, Vedics are really talking about a nuclear war. We see it. We can surmise it, but we have no evidence of it. There's a chance of all everything we've done in magic so far being just disappeared in this sort of new consumptive society of constant of constant adding to our knowledge base. Mm. Um, that's really kind of deep. So let me give you an offer that affects, affects everybody here. Okay. So everything imaginable podcast, which is a great name. I love it. Thank right. You. <laughs> is recording right now, this moment in time. Right. And we're talking about all of this out there. Now you're going to be able to make a single emoticon, right. Or a symbol for yourself. It'll say E I P one or 10 or 50, or if I send like a hundred, which is, You've done a lot of shows mm -hmm. and that will exist there. And they go, Oh, that's an interview with Ed Hubbard. Oh, I want to see that because I'm studying Ed Hubbard. They'll be able to click it and they'll have this entire information all conveyed and made available by a single spot, a QR code or whatever it is that you create that exists that attaches to that. Yeah, that's definitely true. And um, then, then you add it to the language. Hmm? Yes. Uh, I keep forgetting the question I was going to ask. Um, oh, do you, the importance of the symbols that we use to convey a message. Like, like here's an example of, of what I thought was a bad use of symbols. Okay. Um, like I was here, I live in Alabama, and we were getting hit by a hurricane, and I had purchased a, a, new, a new generator for when the power went out. And I'm looking at the choke of the generator. And rather than saying like open and closed, it had like a straight line and a crooked line. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Which one's open and which one's closed? Yeah, I would think the jagged one would be closed for some reason, but probably not because that's like, so symbols are good for two things. If you're making a unique sigil for the first time, then that's an idea that you're trying to shock the world or get something into the world that's new and people mm -hmm. look at it and they're going to be curious and try to find out what it means. 
And that takes a lot of effort. So the vast majority of people will never see it. But then you have the sigils that everybody knows. And, and between those two are where real power to create and do magic is, you know, create your own sigils or share sigils. But the sigil that is known to everybody has then a certain amount of intellectual baggage with it, a certain amount of definition with it. And the more and more people who see that and understand that, that the more power it gets behind it. Um, probably the most powerful sigil I know, and I call it a sigil, is the Nike checkmark. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what that is. Hmm? Yeah. Just yeah. do it. Hmm? Yeah. yeah lo- the logos, are, 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 I guess, are definitely would be considered uh, sigils. And there's sigils to egregores. There is no such thing as Nike. There's a bunch of businesses that operate under that term. But there's no Nike. Hmm? There's no entity above it except in the formation of it. And those are egregores, and they express themselves through their symbols. You can say the same thing for a country. I do say the same thing for a country. You know, I mean, let's go ahead and what's happening now. America is having a very hard time agreeing on common symbols and common behavior. I'm not arguing if it's good behavior or bad behavior, but we have two distinct camps, a lot more than that, who want different kinds of behaviors or visualize America in very different ways. And um, as Lincoln said, a house divided will eventually fall. Eventually, we one of these sides will either win or something else will come by, come out of it and change our mind to create a new idea of America. Mm-hmm. But America, the United States, is just a collective idea. And right now it's being challenged really hard about what that collective idea looks like. So, well, yes. Is that why flags are so important? It's like yes. the sigil that, that, that represents the country? Right. And it's also a totem at that point. It gains power mm-hmm. when people see it. Like if, if I, it becomes a totem. Sigil is, you know, kind of the visual part, but a totem is the next thing up. And that means it's invested with power. I.e., when you put up a flag, everybody already knows to put their symbols on. They know what the sigil stands for, but the magic of it, you, you salute it, you take care of it. You will die for it. Mm-hmm. And that's a totem. And if you get people to believe in that totem, the stronger that totem is, the more power it has. And it gives a form to your entire culture, your Gregor. Mm-hmm. So that's really all you need is to create something and get people to believe in it. It's been universally true forever. It's all that's true in some ways. Once you put food in your belly, get a house over your head, getting something on you so you don't freeze to death, have enough security, you don't have to worry about your family being wiped out. Everything is about what do you believe in and what your attention is. And that's what magic is. Magic began when we fulfilled our basic needs and we wanted to know what was next. And we challenge the unknown to learn new things. And once we learn them, once they come out of the imagination into the objective world, they become facts and they become science. But magic really is what's next. What is the next unknown? And dragging it out so everybody can see it. Uh-huh. Hmm? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um... Would you say that the human race has used magic wisely or not so, so well? So, so I, I can give you the common answer. Oh no, we're terrible. We're contaminating the planet. We're doing all this bad stuff. 
Now, I don't buy that. We're the most successful species at one of the most abundant times, and we're an actual geographical resource. And I believe in Gaia. Gaia is a singular entity at the macro. If you go off into space, it looks like one big, huge life form on this planet. It just is. And I absolutely believe that. And I believe that it wants to breed. So a lot of our activities that we think are independent of nature really are within nature. So I think we've done a very good job with what we're doing. I think we're just, I think we're just really in a hateful phase of ourselves. We're scared of what the future is. So we really kind of don't want to move forward because obviously the next move forward is jumping off, jumping out of the gravity well into space or jumping into cyberspace. Right. Or or other dimensions, which we already, we do it, but we don't really. We're facing a future that is so radically different from ours. We're afraid of it. (laughs) It's deep down. We feel it. We can express it, but we're afraid of it. And, and, and that's where the magician comes in, even though he's afraid or she's afraid of that. Their curiosity gets so, to them, and it does for me, that you have to do something about it. And then so, you have so, these great experiences that you're- So would you say one of the first steps of being, coming a magician is first overcoming that fear? It's everything in it. That's, if you, the more of that fear you can, recover from and get through the more you can do period so 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 the less fear you have the more you'll be able to accomplish absolutely and that's the core of witchcraft and wicca and magic and all of these is a fear of ways to deal with your fear and the fear of the universe and how it works we had to get over the fear of fire some one of our ancestors had to be afraid of something that absolutely destroyed them and hurt them and learn to take care of it like a wild beast. Mm-hmm. That had to be frightening. Today, we wouldn't think twice of it. We like matches and lighters like nothing. Right. But there, can you imagine a time when that was so frightening that you, he had to get a lot of courage to grab that burning stick and bring it back to your tribe? Yet we know that moment in history had to have existed. So today we're dealing with cyber fire. We're dealing with the fact that we have this machine we're creating that can absorb all of our attention to be used to, to insult our privacy, to make the world a lot closer. But it forever alters our perception of that universe and, and how the universe works. And I think a lot of people don't want to leave that fire at that camp. And I think that's really one of the things you're going to see. So the magicians of the next phase, just as you know, you saw it in tech, is going to be the people who get past the fear and start doing wanting to do amazing things. Do, do you think some of that has to be um, like like my own opinion is really to get past the fear? One of the things that we have to do is get past the attachment to our own bodies. And it's called the skin bias in the, um, in the Silicon Valley world that's researching it. Sure, we're going to have to get rid of the, uh, what they call skin, you know, the skin prejudice. But that's another generation away. I'm hoping that I see it. I really do. I want to go up. I'm building my own digital afterlife. I'm trying to figure out how to do that, you know, so people can see me. I mean, I'm hoping to have an AI for myself 
so that my great great grandchildren can ask me questions and get a, a reasonably close answer to what I would say. But there is a definitely a skin bias or a flesh bias. Um, you see it with the fear of the microchip. My God, I can't wait for microchip technology to come on scale. My God, so I never have to worry about my credit cards again. I don't have to worry about um, things that's going to monitor my health, so my health is going to be better. Mm-hmm. I see microchips. I'm looking, I'm a, I'm a diabetic who's doing pretty well, but my God, I'm so glad that they're building these pumps out in the future. I may need one of those. Hmm? If they get a little better with say pacemakers, how much technology can we bring into our bodies that we would bring in to extend our organic life? People do it all the time. We so are cyborgs. Th- yeah. As I was going to say, like when we end up like, like the cyborgs or, um, what is, what are those guys in uh, star Trek that were half Borgs. Borgs, Yeah. So, the question comes down to very simply, and this is the power of the magician. This is why I think magicians have to understand their power. I will. You have to keep your identity. If you lose your identity in any of this magic, and people have done that, you get swept away. And it can be very damaging in some ways. You have to, the core of it is not only behind I will, is that there is a will behind it, that you're willing mm-hmm. Something, not another thing that talks to you in your brain, but something that's behind even that. You know, every, we recently came out with a big scientific fact. There are people who never have any voices in their head. About 10 to 15% of the population never conceive voices in their head. And that shocked everybody else. Well, there's something even behind that. The voices in your head, there's something behind that. And uh, so as long as that stays intact, we will never become bored. I really look at the computer in the same way I look at a car. A car lets me travel more than 60 to 100 miles an hour if I need it. I could never run that fast, but it increased my world. Mm-hmm. I'm And the computer can move 50 to 100 times faster than I can trying to figure out things that I want. So I, if I'm willing to get into a car physically to travel, I'm willing to get into a computer and travel mentally. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, that that computers will be able to interact with some of the other dimensions that we are able to interact with, such as the astral plane or the ether and, and whatever, other, whatever else is out there? So we do have a physical space that already has generated one called cyberspace. Okay? And but, cyberspace... But, but the cyber, will cyberspace be able to interact with the astral plane that we're uh, yes. able to interact with. Yes. I think it's another dimension that we've discovered. I think it's a, an imaginative system. Anything we can conceive and generate through words, code, we can create to the point where we can fool ourselves into being in there full time. Absolutely. I think it's going to, I actually believe that we are already affecting there are computer. Actually, I've done some experiments where uh, last year in Halloween, I did the Oracle where people felt, the things that I was doing both on the astral and the physical, as well as the uh, cyberspace that they were conveying. That was like the first little like crack in the wall for me. I absolutely do believe that. I think multidimensionality is the next place we're going. As soon as we get a little bit further in space, as soon as we get a, further, a little further in quantum understanding, get a little bit higher resources, free up a little bit more of the human planetary mind to allow it to do more research as it grows even more prosperous. Absolutely, I think dimensionality is going to be discussed. I think there's, we're, we're now understanding that there's a fourth dimension. And it took us 
it depends on how you measure the human race. It took us thousands and thousands and thousands of years to break past 2D, which was our physical level on the flat plane, to flying. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me we're going to break into the 4D universe next. Do you think that, that, that the what we consider reality might actually be nothing but information? Well, we know it is information. So this is the thing that always blew my mind when I became a guyist. How old is your body? I always ask people that. How old is your body? And they usually tell me. I guess it would depend on how you look at it. You know, I mean, you could look at it as how long has this body had this particular consciousness, or you could look at my body as um, nothing but uh, elements from, from ancient stars. Ultimately, that's true. And ultimately, your body, we are a survivor of untold capabilities. If everybody understood this, it would make my life so much easier. You are a survivor of untold measure. And your body, the code in your body, doesn't start a year ago or a thousand years ago, a million years ago. It started with the first spark of life and has never been broken since. So the code you carry inside you is Gaia. And it is a code that the universe is, we're made up of that's billions of years old. That's just one place where you can see code. Language is absolutely there. And it's been changing and growing and everything else. But your body, that information is billions of years old. You're just the latest reincarnation of it. And if you don't breed out, okay, there's some things that genes jump. We found all sorts of factors. But you don't survive. And then nature is very cruel in that. Lots of things don't survive. Hmm? Right. But, the, but if you're alive, everything alive here is a survivor of billions of years of activity, unbroken. So, do, do you think we retain some of the, like, if we've survived all that time, do we, and we, we, we are part of that original thing and have been through all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, like, well, well, I don't remember, you know. However, at the same time, maybe we do remember, and we just don't recognize that we re- are able to remember it. I agree with that. Now, you have people in the world uh, called the Lamas. There's 33 of them, actually, but the Dalai Lama is the most famous, who believe that their energy can pass from one body to another and be reborn consciously and remember it they claim it mm-hmm. i've seen some of the activity i tend to believe them but we do know that scientists are finding out that certain f- inherent fears that children have they can be traced back to earlier fears or earlier deaths or earlier actions of earlier people in their family um the fear of cancer in a family families that can almost sense the cancer in them know that comes from you know that body's inheritance we know there are hereditary diseases if we can believe in hereditary diseases, why can't we not believe in hereditary memory? The body remembers the diseases it carries. So it obviously can carry a lot more. We just haven't figured out how to tap it because it hasn't been good for our survival. Remembering our past may be painful and it gives us some scares, but it may not be useful. Mm-hmm. But forget about maybe, like, well, it may just bypass that and, and just be able to tap into that original creative force that that, that just started everything it's still there 
Yeah. That first amoeba lives in all of us. That first life form is the beginning of that code. And we all have it. Everything on earth has it. We just have to, you know, find a way to reach it. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in, I mean, it's obviously referred to different names, but in different cultures mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and I guess too, that will also be one of the goals of enlightenment. So, yeah, I mean, the idea of enlightenment depends on the culture and it does vary based on the culture, but it is the idea of getting above this creation so you can see it all. So you can really express it. So you can live in awe and wonder. I'm an awe junkie. I'm always looking for things that make me go, wow. And there's a value to that because it actually changes the way your brain works for a moment and allows you to feel better and it cleans it up. We're finding out so many things about how we work because we're getting more and more scrutinized about it. I think that we're going to find out that we are, you know, that we have these incredible abilities. I think people don't realize how super heroic they've become compared to where they were in the past. Hmm. We just have this sense of just being people and trying to live together and just kind of getting your own because we have this sort of animal nature as well that has got to be fed. And I think that too often enlightenment is overcoming that animal nature. So you take control of it completely so you can control where you're moving and, you, and expressing your free will. Yeah. Or, or just feed the animal nature when it needs to be fed. I mean, in this, I believe and, in that. And, and, then, and then nurture the other part of you when it needs to be nurtured. Well, I think that's where Wicca and witchcraft come in. We don't have an original sin belief. We don't even think of sin as sin. It's a matter of beneficial or harmful, malevolent or benevolent. We're not, you know, we don't think we're going to be judged by our actions. We're going to be judged. We're going to reap the rewards of our consequences. So we think of our actions in a more of immediate way. And ultimately, we don't believe in Armageddon. We don't believe that the world has to end so that some sort of spiritual reward to be given. But it's an evolution of us constantly in spirit. And that gets us into the idea of how much can we remember? The idea, do we remember, you know, a lot of us believe in reincarnation. And there's no evidence of reincarnation except at the most um, apocrypha or storytelling levels. We don't have a lot of evidence. But people do remember their past lives, some people, and some people can go back into them. Is this just their imagination or something real? I don't know. Just like like the Dalai Lama and, and, you know, especially like that, the, the that uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they, absolutely. They, they've they've really got they're they're good at it, you know. Like they're able to go out and find a kid and show them objects, and the kid will be able to identify certain objects from a past life, and and, and then they're able to to take that child and, and basically almost restore them back to what they were in their life before. And I studied that process. It's an amazing process. And I truly believe whatever they're doing is tapping into something, some spirit, hmm? some soul, some energy that can, that can actually cross those planes. And that's one of the reasons why the Chinese government's been after them so bad to get them eliminated because that's frightening. Because if I can remember things across lifetimes, that changes the game. And it begins to question about the idea of how the universe is constructed. We always believe in reincarnation. Humanity believes in reincarnation. 
until we got deep into the agricultural age and we had to start dealing with property rights and some of that intellectual property. And at that point, Christianity, you saw Judaism, and you, later you would see Islam would all go after the belief in reincarnation. Because if you believe in reincarnation, fear doesn't hold the same power over you. It also changes ownership. It does. Because, you know, when you die, normally you lose ownership of, of stuff. And if you look at reincarnation, and you're like, oh, like, crap, somebody's going to, that person's just going to come back and, and, and get their shit back. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what if you, you, know? Can, you know, people? why people fear, you know, reincarnation? Why the powers to be fear reincarnation? They, you kill somebody. That person will remember it when they come back. It may not be prosecutable, but that person will remember it mm -hmm. if they have an intact memory. So there's a real challenge to all of it. And I think the Internet is going to give us ways to actually exploring it. Can you imagine having blockchain, a certain blockchain code that you memorize all your life and then you die and then you come back and you put that blockchain code, if you remember it, into the system and it opens up a vault full of your memories? Right. That's possible. We, we could definitely use it that way to store our, our memories, you know, somehow mm -hmm. come up with some kind of key that we're going to remember and be able to carry back in the next life. And then open that vault and, and see everything that's there. And then it'll probably all flood back in. And, and you get to live another life as, as you. Can you imagine that? Yeah. It have benefits and non-benefits. I mean, what we do know now is that the memories that we have are no longer all in our head. We now carry around memory. Uh, we carry mindware with us called our cell phones. For those of you who don't understand this, at one time I used to have memorized, and I was considered really good. I had about 50 to 75 phone numbers memorized in my head that I could, I could go to a pay phone or any phone, type those numbers in to talk to somebody. Today, if you ask me to, to tell you all the phone numbers in my, 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 in my cell phone, mm -hmm. I'd be lucky if I could tell you three of them. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember any. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean... <clears throat> You know, I actually remember a few because I, I memorized them in case I've ever gotten into an accident. Right. My emergency numbers, but that's all I need to retain anymore because I don't need all those old numbers. I just push a button on my phone and I get that person or I text them saying, hey, are you free to talk? In the old days, you didn't get that. You either called them and said, hey, I'm busy right now. You need to hang up. <laughs> I remember when um, voice recording, uh, you call in and get a voice recording. And you can leave a message. That was considered big technology. I remember those with the little tapes they put in them. And just in, I, I just remember, I remember before that even. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> when you call Where the terror, can you imagine the terror of having to answer a phone that you didn't know was on the other line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I, you know, I remember like having to write stuff down to, for messages from my parents and stuff like that. We don't do any of that anymore. None of it. Not hardly anywhere. So when people ask me about my ideas of the future and where it is, the one thing that has survived for me through all of that is magic. <laughs> I will. And I'm able to manifest things in my environment. And I've changed it to the point where I can build an online school 
that has, you know, people in 180 countries and have all these people working together. You know, we have a podcast system. We have, you know, Magic TV, which is a, a video system. We have all of this we can conceive on the internet. Eventually, and my next step is to conceive what more or less will be a tomb or a cemetery to kind of clean up. Like we talked about earlier, the ghosts that are around. I'm hoping that for my church members, we can find a way to help them and their families not get caught up in those things and be able to retain their digital life as much as they, you know, we would try to retrain their memories. You know, just as they take care of the physical life, I think one of the spaces churches are going to be are going to deal with this digital life that we are creating. Hmm? The funny thing is, like, if, if I were to leave, like, a, a digital footprint behind, you know, you will. I would want to be able to keep it, like, the clean version of me. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want it to be the me that's, uh, that, you know, is human and flawed and has bad habits. and The shadow. And that will be a matter of how people clean it up. I mean, that will be what do you leave? Most likely, if you or I were to pass, not me, actually not, because I've already, already done this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who will go into it, because I actually have a lot of things under my, can, my name that affect the world. Like I have you know, a Facebook page with 30-something you know, pages and groups and all of this. So I actually have a business component that will be taken care of, but my personal level, I'm, you know, it's, unless somebody's going to do that, they'll be out there for the vultures, you know, people don't realize that if you leave your pictures on the internet, right. And they're not trademarked and they're not copyrighted. Once you're dead, no one claims them. The big companies can throw them into their batches of free public domain pictures. Right. I mean, everything you've written can go into the public domain if that's what you want, or it can be taken by a corporation who can, Oh yeah, we found this archive of, you know, GeoCities, websites and there's some really good ideas here let's go ahead and trademark it no so i believe that all of this is going to change i think that we as as a magician i'm hoping to transform it enough that we can go ahead and have a magical life on, on in cyberspace and not that fan that dangerous fantasy of a borg or terminator future but more of a, a fantasy where we can be able to fly the sky, fly the heavens but one of the things that we're going to need to really be successful at this is um, like right now, all our servers and all our information is located on this planet. So if the planet were to get wiped out, say you got hit by like a giant asteroid, all that digital stuff would be gone. So at some point we need to put servers off planet. Absolutely. And the ability to do that is getting easier and easier. Hmm? I truly believe that Gaia's purpose is to become a solar system wide life form. I do. I think that that's where we have to go. Right now, we're a single point of failure. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, it could be disease. It could be oh, I studied eschatology for years. I actually am quite adept at, at the idea of eschatology and how we can all just be eliminated. Mm-hmm. But right now, humanity is on a single point of failure. You know, we have two inhabited planets in our solar system right now. Mars, which is inhabited by robots, right. and ours. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly... A a, we, don't we, have have a fa- we certainly don't have a fail-safe, that's for sure. We don't. Um, and people try to build it. There's the seed bank <clears throat> up north. No, we don't. And in fact, and here's where the hard part for me is, 
And we have active religious forces who believe the only way to get to final salvation is by the destruction of the planet. So, in fact, erase us completely. No, I'm, I'm big believer that Gaia wants to transmit. And I think that once we get our systems in place, our memory will go into space. We have, we have at least have two little pieces going out of the solar system with a little bit of our information. Mm. So, yeah, I think we can be eliminated from the code very easily at this point. Humanity has got to find ways to extend itself off the planet. And I think we are. I think that's generational. I think that's just a direction we're going in. But remember, 99% of us are never leaving this planet. We're just not. Right. We're not going to be the ones picked. It's going to be 1% or 2% of the population that is going to lead us to do it. And you're going to have to work really hard to be part of that movement. Or, at least for a while. Or there's, or, or there's just an easier way, which is to maybe, again, rather than sending a phys- my physical body into space, Maybe we could find a way to send our DNA to Mars, have some type of robot clone the DNA, reconstruct the, our human body, and then access the information back again through a digital format so we remember it. You're talking in my dream, so I'm hoping that I can upload my mind <clears throat> and that I can do something like that, get on a spaceship and go. I really do want to do that. So this is it. It, everything is imaginable. We can do anything we choose to do. All we have to do is have the will to do it and then stick to it. That's very possible to do. Yeah. I, I, I was having a conversation last night with a physicist and he was a very, um, like he, he didn't buy into any of the quantum stuff. And he was talking about, you know, the difficulties of space travel, you know, Sure. And, I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, it, it, I don't think it's that difficult. I mean, I, I think if we can reduce, I mean, everything that I am is already contained in DNA, which is like this really compressed version of all sure. the information that's in me. That's the only thing that has to make it to the next destination mm-hmm. and then be expanded, basically decompressed back out. And that's it. It's self-replicating. Yeah. Whatever we build to carry us in the future has to be self-replicating. That's it. And, and we already have that tool in our DNA. Absolutely. And, and, and the DNA of everything on life. We don't have yeah. to send out people. We can send out our DNA. That may be why we don't see a lot of aliens everywhere because really the job is just to get you to the next planet and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and I actually do believe this, there's another level of communication that we're just basically touching and we're about to discover maybe in the next 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, I know Tesla touched it. We've gotten scientists who have picked up weird communication styles. We weren't doing it, but we may not know the frequency. We literally may not know the band they're talking on. Mm-hmm. They may be able to hear us, but they're like, Oh, they're not figuring out the band we're on. Hmm? And it was as inconceivable as that was 300 years ago, no could conceive of the radio wave. <laughs> so there might be communication wavelengths. We don't know yet. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think it's foolish to think that we know everything <laughs> that, that exists. And there may come a day some, something comes along and says, hi, welcome to the ultranet of the, of the galaxy. You finally figured it out. Please put in your password. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's fully possible that the, the, the alien civilizations that we're looking for are just communicating at a different wavelength that we just don't understand. <coughs> Excuse well, me, I'm choking on my tea. <laughs> and it's going to be true of multidimensionality. It's already true. So in, in Wicca, um, one of the concepts we have is that we talk to non-intelligent and non-human life forms. And recently, they've, you know, one of them that's been big is called the crow. You know, we have crows. Mm-hmm. And they decided the COVID clans, the birds, now they know they passed the self-awareness test. They actually have language and they're self-aware. But yet for thousands of years, the shaman, it's been one of the closest animals we talk to. You see it all over the place in the magical world. But we've been talking to crows. We learned how to do that. And it's only because technology got in the way, the noise got away, we broke some of our combination of that. Now we're using science to prove it. That we're realizing what we always knew and what we communicated was always true. Right. And, and you know, that, that, that brings up a point that, that I also kind of comes up quite often on some of my podcasts and some people think I'm a little crazy for it, but, but when, when we, we go back to that idea of this ancient advanced civilization, right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and then I have to ask, like, well, well, how did they know what they knew at that time without the technology? And I believe the answer is actually pretty simple, is that they had the ability to communicate with nature. You know, they were able to, to, to get information from a plant by simply being able to communicate with it. They were able to get um, maybe some basic physics on flying off of being able to communicate with a bird. I absolutely believe that. So the legend of the, let's take the legend of the bard, B-A-R-D, the music, the storyteller. We've now looked at the volume of information that they memorized. And it's uh, an actor, today's actors are are basically tapping into that same level of it finally. But they held so much in that time, they held so much information. They were like a virtual library. And that they use that ability to communicate with animals and plants and they allowed themselves to hear it. And even if it was just imaginary, because it's, oh, they just imagined it, they were still able to affect the world through their imagination. And the fact that they were able to tell stories and people believe these stories and allow people to have a connection to each other, even at long distances. There's a magic to that. You know, we just don't what, realize it anymore because we've let technology come in and it's brought us to the great forgetting, forget who we were, and that whatever gets mad at the witch and the magician and the shaman is they go, over here, we're still here. We'll teach you that old stuff when you're ready. Mm-hmm. And then people want to go to that old stuff. And then they, when they see it, they, they see how much of the world is different than what they thought. And then that brings changes. You know, one of the reasons I named my show Everything Imaginable is because I feel like um, everything that we're able to imagine and a whole lot more is is not necessarily even imagination. And one, I, I believe it's all possible. If we can imagine it, we can do it. But the other thing is that if we can imagine it, we've probably already done it and we're just remembering it. <laughs> That is a very big possibility that we don't understand. 
So probably the last thing I would, you know, people always ask me, are we in assimilation? Believe it or not, yeah, they ask that question. Yeah. Because everybody talks about it. And, and the ancient Vedic said, we are but the dream of God. We are here. And so I think it's always an irrelevant question to ask if we're in a simulation. The real question is, what are the rules we're living by? <laughs> yes. Um, because if we are, then there's nothing we can do about it. In fact, we're dependent on it continuing. On it. And the idea that we're going to create these video games that are going to make us Adam and Eve, you know, our own gods creating our own little Adam and Eve AIs that are going to you know, live on their own planets. That's going to be a very interesting type of thing because what, what happens if they mature? What's it, what, what are they going to look at? Are we going to look at them? That's going to be a fun game. It's already out there. They've already started it. Right. I wonder if they would look at us like gods. They would have no choice but to do so because we yeah, have something. Yeah, they, 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 would have to, they would have to obey us. <laughs> and if you don't, you just put in a code and makes it to them. I mean, it makes a real question of free will. If we, I'm hoping that our, and isn't that what we're always saying? I'm always, aren't we always saying at the end of the day, there's a higher power, there's a higher self, there's a higher astral plane. And below yeah. us and for the magic of the world is that we can convey our magic into cyberspace, which exists solely because right now we're stimulating the right crystals, the right frequencies, the right energy to create this memory creating and image making and developing this sort of ideology of, in our own image. But it's because we did it following the laws of nature. Imagine that. And, and it's just going to get more incredible as we go along. But at the same time, you know, magic is for the body, it's for the soul, it's for the spirit. And while cyberspace can give you all that, it really comes down to your core, your root. What do you feel like? And it finally leaves you with the only question that says, I am. When you realize I am, and then everything else falls away and says, okay, that's the life I'm going to live. And you improve your life. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to be kind of blown away by, by this episode because <clears throat> we've kind of taken a nature-based religion mm -hmm. in, in practice and you've just sort of take, you just take it into this digital mindset mm -hmm. and, and, and all the pieces just fit together perfectly. That's very kind of you to say. I've, I've, I've done this for about 25. It's one of those moments in history where, you know, you find out these weird. So, so if I were in a movie trope, like the old fashioned movie, and they said they needed me like, I'm the guy who's been sitting in my basement for the last 25 years, more or less, building things and things like that. They go, oh, we need you because we just discovered this thing. I'd be like the weird scientist they bring on the sci-fi movie. They won't listen to me, but they'll bring me on anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, um, but um, I, I believed in a lot of this for a lot, large period of my life. And this, this year of acceleration, 2020 is absolutely a year of acceleration. It's allowed us to kind of force us into some behaviors for some of us that are bringing this on faster. Uh, Zoom, as you know, has grown 40 mm -hmm. times. It's grown more than exponentially this year. The company has grown 40 times its size in number of subscription and memberships in less than a year. That's hard mm -hmm. to conceive. It's one of the fastest growths we've ever seen. But it existed for 10 years prior to that working out the systems and things like that. They've been selling themselves to businesses. Mm -hmm. I've been on Zoom for like five years. 
this year. <laughs> For every one of me, there's 40 new people on it. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, I probably have been using it for about maybe a year before COVID. Right. Um, but hey, you know, like, and now, you know, it allows me to do this podcast, you know. I mean, the most difficult part of it is uh, converting the MP4 file to a WAV file, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty, and that's almost automatic now. You can do that with, you know, just a small amount of code. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, a, it's a little tricky with Mac cause I actually kind of had to go back to the old school, um, <clears throat> the terminal, you know, to, to use, I actually have to use a command line commands to do mm -hmm. it, which is kind of cool, you know, cause it reminds me of like, like the way things used to be, you know, when I had to type everything into a command line, it wasn't just clicking on stuff and dragging stuff. So it's a constant reminder of how far we've come. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, this is we've gone everywhere out here. Is there any last things that you want? Uh, I think uh, I think I've run out of stuff. Um, where can my uh, listeners find you? So I'm Ed the Pagan everywhere. E D T H E P A G A N, literally on any uh, almost every platform, uh, including uh, edthepagan.com and edthepagan at gmail. So just kind of look me up. All right, and, and also uh, you are one of the founders of the Witch School. Yes. So um, I will post a link to that um, in the. Uh, but, absolutely, and, and it's a great community. If you just you know. You don't have to even know anything. It's a really great community. I really do adore that community. Yeah, it's, it's really a nice. It's a well-set-up site. I was on there earlier before the show. Uh, you know, I created my login, and I was looking at some of the courses. And, 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 I mean, you have, like, 35 free courses, which is also really cool. Oh, absolutely. You can know everything about what you want to get involved with. And then it's like, you know, and then there's a small fee for people who want to take you more. Awesome. You know, Thanks. so we were really about teaching teaching the world that it is. Learn anything, anywhere, anytime. My biggest philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for taking the time to come on and talk to me this afternoon. I appreciate. I enjoy. I enjoyed it. It was immensely a lot of fun, and I hope I wish everything imaginable for your podcast. Yeah, it, it, the podcast is like I say is, is it's done unusually well. I've been quite surprised by how good it's done. Oh, I'm, I, I believe it can even get better. I mean, I'm always a big believer that everything we do gets better. Yeah, yeah. I think all I have to do is keep doing it. Mm -hmm. All right. And thanks for coming on. Blessed be. Blessed be. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.